One of the most profound realizations we had about our universe in the 20th century was learning that the fabric of space itself is expanding. All the matter and all the energy contained within the universe gets more and more dilute over time. The density goes down as the volume of space containing all the matter and energy we have increases over time. What does this mean it was like in the distant past? Well, if we extrapolate back, that means the volume of space was smaller, but still contained that same amount of matter. If we go back farther and farther and farther, we can arrive at a point where all of the matter was contained in a single mathematical point, a singularity. But is there truly a singularity at the start of the Big Bang? Find out on this edition of the Starts With a Bang podcast. In the early 1900s, we not only didn't know that the universe was expanding, we didn't know whether the Milky Way, our home galaxy, was the entirety of the universe or not. We saw spirals in the sky, and for most of these spirals, we noticed they were moving with tremendous speeds, much faster than anything else known in our own galaxy. But we didn't have proof that they lay at great distances beyond the Milky Way. It was the observations of Hubble who found variable stars in these distant galaxies and noted what their distance would have to be to account for the brightnesses and the brightness changes in those stars. He found them to be well outside our own galaxy, many of them millions of light years away. In the context of general relativity, this meant that the fabric of space needed to be expanding in order to explain the overwhelming, large, cosmological redshifts of these objects. In this context, then, these distant galaxies appear to be moving farther and farther away from us the more distant they are. They appear to be speeding away from us faster at greater distances, and this is due to the fact that the fabric of space itself must be stretching and expanding, opening up the distances between galaxies to greater and greater amounts as time goes on. Our instinct is always to start today and think about how things will evolve as we move forward in time. This will be great for telling us what the fate of the universe will be and how it will evolve in the far future, but it isn't going to do a great job of telling us what the universe was like in the distant past. But we can extrapolate backwards instead. If we go back in time in the context of an expanding universe, we're going to find that the universe had three properties that were more extreme compared to how it is today. The first is the universe should be denser. 
We have the same amount of matter, the same amount of energy, except in the distant past, it was contained in a smaller volume of space, and therefore the universe had to be denser. The universe also had to be more uniform. Over time, gravitation preferentially attracts more and more matter to the places that already have more matter. The universe gets clumpier over time. Initial overdensities will grow into stars, to star-forming regions, to galaxies, to groups and clusters, and even superclusters of galaxies. But in the distant past, before gravity had time to do its thing, to exert its forces, and to affect the matter in the universe, the universe must have been more uniform in nature. And the third thing is, the universe must have also been hotter in the distant past. If the universe today is a certain temperature, that means it's filled with photons, with radiation of a specific wavelength. But a wavelength takes a certain amount of space. And if the universe was smaller in the past, if it's expanded to be the size it is today, that means the wavelength of the light within the universe had to be smaller in the past. Small wavelength means more energetic light, and more energetic light means higher temperature. Therefore, the universe had a hotter past compared to the temperature it's at today. We might think of space as being full of matter, full of stars, full of galaxies, and super cold today, but it wasn't like this in the past. If we extrapolate back in time, we'll find that we reach a time before any stars and galaxies had formed, before gravitation had grown these tiny initial overdense regions into stars and galaxies. We have not yet found them, but the James Webb Space Telescope, scheduled to launch in 2020, will see the very first stars and galaxies, and should see a cutoff that there are no stars and galaxies before a certain point. Looking back even farther, we should find that there are no neutral atoms before a certain point. If the universe reaches a certain temperature, it'd be hot enough to successfully ionize all of the neutral atoms that you can form in the universe. This should lead to a uniform, leftover, very cold today background of radiation. We call this today the cosmic microwave background. It was discovered in 1964, and it marked the first exquisite confirmation of the Big Bang and a refutation of pretty much all the competing alternatives. We can go back even farther and conclude there must have been no atomic nuclei before a certain point. Because it was hot enough that any time you bound a proton and a neutron together, these high-energy photons at high enough energies would immediately blast them apart. This leads to a prediction of what the ratios of the very first elements you formed ought to be. These abundances of the light elements have been confirmed by a myriad of observations of the ultra-distant universe, including, most importantly, the absorption of quasar light by intervening molecular clouds of gas.
If we go even farther back, beyond what we can observe, we'd find that you could form matter-antimatter pairs spontaneously out of pure energy from the ultra-high energy state of the young universe. You'd find that you could break down protons and neutrons into a quark-gluon plasma. Both of these observations haven't been observed in the early universe, but we've recreated these states of matter at high energy particle accelerators like the Large Hadron Collider. But if we went arbitrarily far back, what would we see? We would find in different regions of space you have temperature fluctuations with specific amplitudes given by the maximum temperature the early universe achieved you would find that as you achieved higher and higher and higher energies, you would get leftover high-energy relics from new physics that ought to exist at those early times. You would see leftover in the universe today relics like magnetic monopoles. And eventually, if you went arbitrarily far back, you would reach a time where the density and the temperatures rose to infinite values as all the matter and energy in the visible universe would have been contained within a single point, a singularity. This realization, this extrapolation, is where the idea of the Big Bang singularity came from. It represents a moment where the laws of physics break down. This was understood to represent the origin of space and time. A singularity is the one place from which space and time can emerge. Where space and time did not exist, I would say previously, but I don't even know how previously would make sense if we're talking about something outside of time. This was the ultimate idea of the Big Bang, that if you extrapolated back to arbitrary densities, arbitrarily high temperatures, and arbitrarily small volumes of space, you would arrive at a singularity. You would arrive at a place where the laws of physics broke down, where general relativity and quantum physics gave you nothing but nonsense for their predictions. Yet these things that come about in the earliest stages, these predictions that it made that we would have these leftover high-energy relics, that we would have these huge amplitude temperature fluctuations, and that we would have these, these additional signals, they're not there. We don't see these huge amplitude temperature fluctuations. The deviations we see from the earliest stages in the universe are only one part in 30,000 or so. We don't see magnetic monopoles. In fact, we don't see any leftover high-energy relics beyond what's predicted by the standard model at all. These missing signatures lead instead to a different implication that the universe never reached arbitrarily high temperatures, but rather that there was a cutoff. Rather than extrapolate back arbitrarily far, there must be some limit to how far back we can go with this picture of a hotter, denser, more uniform state and still validly describe our universe. So what was the resolution to this puzzle? It was a new theory 
called cosmic inflation. The way inflation works is it's a state prior to the Big Bang, prior to this hot, dense, expanding and cooling state, where instead of having all of your energy wrapped up in particles, in matter and antimatter and radiation, instead of all that, the energy of the universe was inherent to the fabric of space itself. This causes a rapid, relentless expansion at an exponential rate. This expansion stretches the universe flat, gives it the same properties everywhere, and creates only tiny amplitude quantum fluctuations that, by the nature of this exponentially expanding space, get stretched across the universe. And after doing this for an undetermined amount of time, inflation all of a sudden ends. And it ends by converting that spatial energy, that energy inherent to the fabric of space, into matter and radiation. This leads to what we know as the hot Big Bang. This leads to the state that we believe our visible universe began with. By beginning the universe with a period of cosmic inflation before the hot Big Bang, it solves a number of puzzles that the Big Bang can't explain. Like, why is the universe flat? Why don't we see these high-energy relics like magnetic monopoles? And why does the universe have the same temperature properties everywhere with small amplitude fluctuations, temperature fluctuations, density fluctuations, to create the seeds of large-scale structure? in the universe. Inflation was put forth in the early 1980s, and when we began measuring the early universe's properties to greater and greater precision, starting in the 1990s, we started to confirm its great predictions. This should be viewed as a resounding success, not just for the theory of inflation, but for the enterprise of science and applying these lessons to the universe as a whole. This leads to another question. How long did this period of cosmic inflation last? In order to stretch the universe flat and give it the properties we observe it to have today, it's possible that inflation lasted just a little bit longer than 10 to the minus 33 seconds or so. An amount of inflation that lasted for just that minuscule length of time would be sufficient to stretch a tiny subatomic volume of space to greater than the size of the visible universe today. That amount of time, that a few times 10 to the minus 33 seconds, is not a prescriptive length of time. It's only a lower limit. It's only a lower limit. Inflation could have lasted far longer than that. And scientists are still in wild disagreement about the conditions under which inflation must have arisen from. Inflation could have happened in just a small region of space, or it could have happened everywhere all at once. It could have lasted for an eternity, or just a tiny fraction of a second, or anywhere in between. The information you see that exists in our observable universe today only tells us about those final 10 to the minus 33 seconds or so of inflation. 
anything before that, anything that was or wasn't inflationary that occurred prior to that is inherently wiped out and lost to the history of the expanding universe by the nature of inflation itself. It's now located far beyond our cosmic horizon and we have no access to it. So what then happened before inflation got its start? And in particular, because we were so invested in figuring out that there should have been a singularity at the Big Bang without inflation, would there still be a singularity with inflation? Some people wrongly, and it's tempting to do so, say something like the following. Well, we had a Big Bang singularity give rise to the hot, dense, expanding universe before we knew about inflation. And inflation just represents an intermediate step that occurred before the hot, matter and radiation-filled expanding state our universe had that gave rise to today, and therefore it should have happened after the singularity. Therefore, it should go singularity, inflation, and then the hot Big Bang. It's a tempting line of thought, but it's not necessarily right to think this way. In fact, there's good reason to believe it isn't right, and here's the kicker. An inflating state could not have arisen directly from a singularity. This is weird, but let's think about it to see how it makes sense. Space expands exponentially during inflation. Let's think about how an exponential works. After a certain amount of time has gone by, the size of the universe will double. In twice that time, it doubles twice to four times its original size. In ten times the time, it doubles ten times. That means not ten times its original size, but ten doublings. That means not 10 times its original size, but 10 doublings, 2 to the 10, or 1,024 times the original size. In 100 times that time, it would double 100 separate times to 10 to the 30 times its original size, and so on. You can see extremely rapidly how in short order, in a very small amount of time, you can exponentially expand your universe to go from a subatomic scale to a scale greater than the visible universe. But instead of going forwards, now let's go backwards. A certain amount of time ago, the universe was just half its size. Ten times that time ago, it was 1 over 1,024 times the current size. A hundred times the amount of time it takes it to double ago, it must have been just 1 10 to the 30th time its present size. But is, even though these numbers are getting smaller and smaller and smaller, they never reach zero. No matter how far back you go in time, you never get an infinitesimally small universe. In other words, in an inflating universe, no matter how far back you go, you cannot achieve a singularity. 
There's a theorem about this. It's often misinterpreted that was come up with by Bordy, Guth, and Vilenkin. It's known as the Bordy, Guth, Vilenkin theorem. Alan Guth, by the way, was the founder of inflation. What it shows, what this theorem shows, is that inflation is past timelike incomplete. That is a fancy mathematical word that people often interpret to mean the universe must have begun from a singularity. But this does not mean that. What it means is that any particles that you put in an inflating universe, any particles that exist in inflating space-time would, if you extrapolate back far enough, they would eventually meet but this doesn't mean there was a singularity. It means that inflation cannot fully describe everything that occurred in the history of the universe, including the universe's birth, if it had one. But inflation itself cannot arise from a singular state because an inflating region has to begin from a finite size. Unless the universe was born with a finite region of space, which means it wouldn't have been a singularity, it could not always have been inflating. Every time you see a diagram, an article, or a story talking about the Big Bang singularity, or any sort of Big Bang or singularity existing before inflation, know that you are dealing with an outdated picture of the universe. You are seeing an outdated method of thinking. The idea of the Big Bang singularity went right out the window. As soon as we realized we had a different state, that of cosmic inflation, preceding and setting up the hot Big Bang. There may have been a singularity at the very beginning of space and time. Whatever state arose from that singular state could have then given rise to inflation, which then gave rise to the hot Big Bang. But there's no guarantee that there was a singularity or that inflation arose directly from it. In science, you have the things we can test, measure, predict, and confirm or refute, like an inflationary state giving rise to the hot Big Bang. But everything else is nothing more than speculation. Make sure you don't mistake that sort of speculation, such as speculation about whether the universe began with a singularity, for actual, robust, scientific knowledge. The Starts With a Bang podcast is only made possible through the generous donations of our Patreon supporters. I'd like to thank everyone donating to Starts With a Bang on Patreon at the $5 a month level and above. Thanks go to Robert J. Hansen, Samir Kumar, Dominic Turpin, Tim Graham, John Methot, Aaron Weiss, Pavel Zuzelski, Chris Shaw, Thomas Sola, Denier, Frank, Pedro Texera, Igor Mitrofanov, William Barr, Eric Brown, Mark Armstrong, Jose Enrique, Frederick Martello, Sean Foley, Elver Sosa, Flo, Richard Jousey, 
DGE, John Kozura, Marcelo Barnaba, Nick Tomlinson, Rafal Wojcik, Danny, Alexander Marius, Gaijin, Andrew T. Douglas, Chris Hilly, Weller Tractor Salvage, David Krimpotik, Randall Slimak, Jerry Wilterding, Tom Van Scotter, Michael Lewis, Mike, Fletch, Ahmed Lee Kamsi, Jeffrey Kidd, Dana Bridges, Kelly Kudrick, Richard Schwartz, Darren Redfern, Mark Bloor, Nick Delroy, Ronan Yechazel, Fraser Kane, Steve Schaber, Naked Bunny with a Whip, Jason Besanseni, Peter Williams, Kevin Barnes, Patrick Dennis, Radek Nesbida, James Nance, Joe McFarland, Amira Sosnick, Michael Mason, Sidney Atwood, Harry Plumley, Nathan Hanna, Tomas All, Glenn McDavid, Benjamin Turner, David Taschioni, Philip Radilovic, John Seal, Braxton Thomason, Karen Garrison, and Zarko Opacic. Thanks for your support, and thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you all next time, here for more Starts With a Bang. 